conference report profits. The stock market thinks it'll be better than expected. Plus, the government's giving out hundreds of billions of dollars to people who are not working. Why not put them to work and build something? Great to have your company here on The Money Minutes for another week. And it is a pretty important week. Not only will there be a large number of profit reports coming out of Australia, economic numbers coming out of China and the United States. So a bit of a litmus test. Now, in terms of those profit numbers, um, you actually saw today, in anticipation of Australia's largest bank, the Commonwealth Bank, reporting its profits on, on Wednesday. The share price has jumped. All bank shares have jumped. Now, this is anticipation about not only economic stimulus numbers coming out of the United States that will pick up stock markets there, but potentially around the world. So this is, again, a pretty simple example of the government spend money in economic stimulus and share market investors boost shares in the presumption that that money is going to end up in their pockets. That's pretty much as simple as I can put it to you. But the other side about this is also that by printing more money, Effectively, what they're doing is suppressing interest rates for the longer term. And so therefore, the share market, even if they've got modest returns compared with the past, look like a better bet than just keeping your money in the bank. But the Commonwealth Bank is really one of the litmus tests for our stock market, not only because of its size, and so therefore it is dominant in many of the index tracking funds and superannuation funds besides, but also because so many retail investors have got money in the Commonwealth Bank. And they depend on those dividends in many cases to support their lifestyles. Now, if those dividends are cut, which is, a, is expected, but not cut to zero, which many had previously thought could have been a possibility, then that is one of the keys. But do bear in mind the other side of this. When we went into the coronavirus, it was the chief executive of the Commonwealth Bank, Matt Common, who suggested that their worst case scenario was that property prices could fall by 30%, even more. And that would lead to significant bad and doubtful debts. And therefore, you'd have big write-offs of bank profits. Now, the banks themselves, still recovering from the costs associated with the Royal Commission, have already got sort of, if you like, big imposts upon their profits. So to have something else this large, of this scale, coming and hitting those bank profits would really be something of a disaster. So to see those bank shares jumping today really tells you something about the mood of investors. Maybe it's not going to be as bad as I think. The other ones I'll look out for this week, AMP. It's almost plagued at the moment. Executives leaving uh, as a result of, well, sexual misconduct scandals. But there was one bright spot today, and that was that it, the former chair of the uh, AMP, Catherine Brenner, has been given apparently an all clear by the Australian Securities and Investments Commission. She's claimed really in this case that there's said there is no cause in regards to her conduct that led up to many of the allegations against the AMP in the Royal Commission last year. And that's an important thing to note. But AMP, clearly, I've got to tell you, is a very troubled and unhappy place today, which is incredible when you imagine uh, was considered alongside the big four banks as one of the five pillars of Australia's financial system. Other companies out this week you should watch out for, Transurban. That'll say something about traffic flows around the place. Downer EDI is another big one. James Hardy will be out there. Then on top of that, GPT Group will say something about the office and shopping centres around Australia. Treasury Wine Estates, we're we drinking more because we're staying at home. And Telstra. My sense here is that Telstra could put in a pretty good profit report. 
And part of the reason for that is because people have stayed at home and the demand for NBN and other telecom services are going to be growing. But we won't see the real growth in Telstra until we do really start to see the materialization of its 5G network and that rolling out. Anyway, today I want to talk to you again about infrastructure, its importance in Australia. It is one of the keys because with all of the the work that's going on around the scenes trying to prop up Australia's economy and with my suggestion that really there is a decent dip coming, that's one of the reasons why, for many of us, it's all about work. As you've heard me say before, one of the issues I think is really important for the federal government and state governments right now is the speed with which they can roll out new infrastructure projects. Because while you might have more than a million people unemployed and therefore on either job seeker and on top of that also the job keeper allowances and therefore now more than $100 billion already committed to try and keep those people from going to the wall. The other question is why wouldn't you create the work for those people or others to make certain that you build a lasting legacy? In other words, build more infrastructure more quickly. Well, one of the very best people I think to speak about this subject in Australia is Adrian Dwyer, the Chief Executive of Infrastructure Partnerships Australia. Now, I'll explain Infrastructure Partnerships Australia. It's not Infrastructure Australia, which is the government body that basically recommends the high-priority projects to the federal government, whether that be the Sydney Metro or the Melbourne Metro Tunnel, the Cross River Rail or the Western Sydney Airport. What Infrastructure Partnerships Australia is, is an industry think tank. And so it really produces research and reports to allow not only the industry, but also superannuation funds and government to think about infrastructure in a way in which it not only progresses Australia, but also, if you like, to make certain that there are projects ready to go. So from that point of view, let's go now to Adrian Dwyer. Many thanks for your time, Adrian. Hi, Ross. Thanks for having me on. All right, so the government for a long time has said it's got a priority on infrastructure, a 10-year plan for about $100 million worth of infrastructure to be built. And I mentioned some of those big projects, the Sydney Metro, $22 billion, the Melbourne Metro Tunnel, $11 billion, the Cross River Rail in Brisbane, $5.4 billion, the Western Sydney Airport, $5.3 billion. But it just strikes me, as I said, rather than having people unemployed and collecting money from the government, if those people were able to be put to work and become taxpayers and at the same time building an ongoing legacy for the future of Australia, that would be a more productive way to try and get yourself out of the economic mess that's been caused by the coronavirus. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Ross. If you look at the options available to government, um, infrastructure is it's a sort of a unicorn in that it, it's great for the economy in the short run because you can get people employed, you can keep people employed. And over the long term, you make the economy more efficient, which means uh, everybody can get to work faster or your MBN is quicker or um, goods and services are delivered more efficiently, which makes the economy more productive over the long term. Um, I do think it's worth recognising that um, job keeper and job seeker are important right now. But minds will very quickly have to turn 
not just to the next few months, but the next few years of how governments can support the economy. And infrastructure is a great place for them to be looking. So if infrastructure is a great place to be looking, why is it, say, for example, I've spoken to the Treasurer quite a number of times over the past couple of years, and I would always ask him about the Black Swan events. And he would always say there will be shovel-ready projects right to go. But the problem is, on the 15th of June this year, the shovel-ready projects have been appeared to be $1.5 billion, which, to my mind, is an absolute drop in the bucket compared with the $100 billion or so already committed to Job Seeker and Job Keeper. $1.5 billion to fast-track 15 priority projects, which included fixing up the footpaths in Canberra. To me, that's not the groundbreaking sort of nation-changing infrastructure that we need. That seems to me to be really just fixing up the footpaths that you'd normally do anyway. So should I be critical of the government about the way in which it's had its planning for infrastructure in the face of this coronavirus? Uh, well, I think there's there's always this tendency to look to things that are shovel-ready, and I've never really understood what shovel-ready means. Um, not, no project's ever shovel-ready, because if, if it is, you're already building it. And that, but that's the first and most important point here is the best stimulus baseline that governments can provide is to keep doing the existing pipeline. We already have a record infrastructure spend in Australia. Um, most states and territories, particularly New South Wales and Victoria, plus the Commonwealth, are spending more on infrastructure than they ever have. And the worst possible thing that could happen for the economy now would be for them to pull back, to stop doing some of that work. So phase one, keep doing what we're doing. Phase two is find the the new high-velocity, quick-to-market projects. And then phase three is looking at the big nation-building things that you're talking about that change the face of the country, that change the way the economy works, that makes us um, viable in the new economy to provide new, different sorts of jobs, those big things. And that's over that longer time frame, but that needs to be considered as well. Is part of the problem of this that those people who might be on job seeker or job keeper who come from the... Uh, leisure and tourism sectors come from hospitality, that many of those people are the people who have lost jobs, that they are not the people who are equipped or skilled or trained to actually build infrastructure. And is this one of the real problems? If you try and, if you roll out more infrastructure more quickly and you've got the will and you've got the planning and you've got all that done, that you might simply not have enough people who have the, the physical skills in Australia to build the infrastructure as quickly as you would like to. Yeah, well, there's a lot of points there, Ross, and it's worth unpacking. So the thing to unpack is why is infrastructure good as a stimulus? Because you're quite right. If someone is working right now uh, up in Cairns um, doing um, uh, their job before coronavirus was taking people out to the Great Barrier Reef for, um, for scuba diving, can that person really be redeployed to build a bridge? P- probably not. But the reason you do infrastructure is because you keep people employed, tradies, uh, people working on sites, the whole supply chain. And then those people, uh, they go on holiday, they buy sandwiches and coffees while they're at work. They keep money flowing into the economy. And the whole time that that money is going through their pockets and then into the broader economy, they're building something that provides a lasting legacy. So it, it hits both the time frames of now and into the future. Now, there is some stuff where you get people changing sectors. So you can expect some people to retrain from areas where they were previously employed and that job no longer exists to do something in infrastructure. But that's not the prime reason you do it. The prime reason is to get money into the economy, to get it flowing. That stimulates the economy now. It stimulates confidence and you um, you, you get that, that sort of long-term uh, dividend. 
Okay. Uh, I think that's, that's why governments look at infrastructure rather than just sort of cash handouts. Okay, so when the government on the 15th of June announces $1.5 billion of uh, fast-track priority projects, 15 projects, so I'm sitting there looking at that. It's $100 bucks per project, and it was things like fixing up the, the footpaths in, in Canberra. Now, I'm, I'm looking at that going, well, that's not really big as in comparison to the $100 billion or so being spent on JobKeeper and JobSeeker. So I'm just asking again the question as to whether we have enough, because one of my real concerns here, Adrian, is by the time we actually start to get to some of these bigger projects, the, the economic hurt of the coronavirus, it, it might be too late for many companies and for many individuals. And in other words, we've taken too long to push some of those projects through to do any real good. We might almost be, on, be, be at the end of the recession or even beyond the recession um, before you actually get some of those projects started. The, the bottom line is we'll need to see more from government. You know, that, that initial tranche of a billion and a half, and there's been 2.7 billion in Victoria, there's been a similar amount in New South Wales. But that's just got to be the first phase. There will need to be more, and it will need to be put into the economy quickly. Um, I, I probably don't share the view that we'll be too late with the longer-term projects because I actually think governments are going to need to support aggregate demand in the economy for a lot longer. This is not like the GFC, where six months of money is in people's pockets gets you through this. Government is going to – this a long, hard slog. We're going to need five years of support for the economy. So they do have to um, think carefully about those longer-term projects. But in the short term, they should be looking at high-velocity projects, that thing's about $300 million that can be moved very quickly, particularly things where they're existing corridors. So widening a road, upgrading some train stations, and maybe in the social infrastructure place, things like social housing, maintenance and renewal, um, which is a great one because if the residential housing market comes off, um, those people can be quickly redeployed to build social housing. So you're solving a social problem and you're stimulating the economy. That's where governments need to focus their immediate attention. And then that buys in time to think about those longer term, country changing, big investments. And of course, the ones that people often talk to me about is, well, hang on, why can't we just go and build uh, the, the system to bring water from the north of Australia to drought proof the, uh, the, you know, the inland of Australia coming down to the south? Why can't we go out and build the uh, the high speed rail that's been you know talked about for uh, for decades upon decades between Melbourne, Sydney, Canberra, um, and Brisbane? I, I mean, it, it, it's what they're, they're the ones that capture people's imagination. But as you say, there's other jobs that, in many cases, can be fix ups or things that can change uh, the nature of society that might be a little bit overlooked in regards to where people's imagination goes. But as you say, it's the big nation building projects that really do grab people's imaginations. Yeah, well, oftentimes you need the belt and braces stuff. So here's a good example for you. Remember, this is not just coronavirus. We've had bushfires. And there are, there are places on the south coast of New South Wales that have suffered drought, bushfires, floods, and now coronavirus. There are things like road maintenance in those places, which can be deployed really quickly, rebuild after the fires, um, where they can you can get in, fill all those potholes, you keep people employed, you can target it quite directly, it can be moved quickly, it's not 
Um, it's not highly skilled labour, so you can diversify the workforce. That's a great stimulus opportunity. I think that's where in the in the immediate term I'd like to see governments focusing their attention. It's things like that. So there's another aspect of this. Quite often when people talk about those big projects or even the repair projects, there's not enough money or we can't go into debt. Well, the government's already committed itself to go into debt. And I do note that this week the government is going to issue $3 billion worth of five-year bonds at just a coupon rate of a quarter of 1%. Now, to me at least, it seems that the conditions to actually raise some debt to build you know, physical infrastructure has never been better because you've actually got an appetite, you've got a social reason to do it, to create employment, and you have a, a long-lasting legacy that's created by that infrastructure project. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, mean, I would start by saying I wish I could borrow at, um, a quarter of a percent. That would solve a whole bunch of short-term problems. Um, but yeah, I, I, think, I think it's an interesting um, ideological shift that's happened because of coronavirus, where debt was viewed as a an intrinsically bad thing, and I now think we've moved to a more modern position where we can see that um, debt, if used for the right things, and what what better thing can there be than keeping the economy going? Uh, it, it's a useful tool for governments, and we're lucky in this country in that we have a healthy balance sheet to be able to borrow and not jeopardise. Uh, our capacity to repay. So we're in a much better position than lots of countries were. Uh, I've been quite pleased by government of all levels' willingness to do that. I do think, however, there's a really important point here, which is just because you can borrow cheaply doesn't mean you should do a certain piece of infrastructure. The reasons to do it should exist irrespective of the rate of borrowing. If it's a good piece of infrastructure, we should do it. Um, the fact that money's cheap helps, but that shouldn't be the reason to do it. Okay, then the final part about it is coronavirus itself and the way in which it's changing the very nature of work in Australia. So when we've in the past thought about infrastructure projects, it would always be road and rail and links to uh, transport hubs, all these types of things. So the question is whether if we start to change as a community, as a society, because of coronavirus, increasingly that people will work from home more often, that maybe we don't take um, air transport as, as often as we did previously, that I just wonder whether that also has to be kept in mind. Because if you, you race headlong to build roads or rail or airports, the question is whether, in fact, the community will need that in the future as much as it has before coronavirus. Yeah, there's, there's a tension there, isn't there? Because you say, on the one hand, we need to accelerate the infrastructure program in order to stimulate the economy. But there are question marks about what that uh, the use of that infrastructure might look like over the next few years. Uh, I think that's, that, that's a, a tension that's worth looking at. But I, I would also argue that um, I think it'd be pretty premature to say you know, CBDs are, are dead and people aren't going to use trains anymore. Um, we look at um, crises like um, the um, September the 11th tax in, in New York. There was talk in the immediate aftermath of that that no one would ever go on a plane again. And, and of course, it bounced back um, strongly over time. So I would be I would be cautionary about those that are talking about doomsday scenarios for, for travel. We know that um, humans are social creatures. Um, they like to be in offices. They like to meet people. And I think we will see a return to trend over time. But it does provide some opportunities as well. If we think about um, particularly Sydney and Melbourne 
where you had some crush capacity on the infrastructure emerging over the last couple of years and it begins to impact on the way those networks operate. Think about the um, the train system, for instance, with um, uh, station skipping in Victoria and um, people not having seats in Sydney. It probably buys a couple of years of relief to maybe do some work upgrading and improving those services so when the volume comes back, we've got more capacity to deal with it. The other thing I just reflect on from an infrastructure perspective is I think the NBN has gone from national whipping boy to national hero in the past four or five months. There are lots of people like me who've been able to work from home pretty successfully um, using the NBN with very few interruptions and that would have been absolutely inconceivable five years ago. Um, so we're lucky it was there and, and, and on at the right time. So in other words, the truth is when you get an opportunity to build a piece of nation-building infrastructure, you've probably got to make certain the stars are aligned and just go and do it. In other words, a bit like the Sydney Harbour Bridge or indeed like many of our large freeways or the NBN, ultimately it comes to some good for the nation as a whole. Uh, yeah, so this is 100-year infrastructure. You know, when, when Bradfield conceived the Sydney Harbour Bridge, there were a few hundred cars registered in New South Wales and it's only... It's only sort of 20 or 30 years ago by building the Harbour Tunnel that that route needed to be duplicated. Um, there is, this stuff is not for the short term. This is for the very long term. It's big licks of money. And we, we shouldn't be distracted or blown off course by immediate term challenges because actually in 20 years time, we will be very grateful for the money being spent now to make sure that we've got the infrastructure for the future. And we'll probably be doubly grateful that coronavirus spurred some more of that along. Adrian Dwyer is the Chief Executive of Infrastructure Partnerships Australia, the think tank, the independent think tank that provides advice and research to government and to the infrastructure industry. And uh, Adrian, I really appreciate your time and having a chat today. Thank you, Ross. It was great fun. So that's it for the Money Minutes for today. Thank you so much for your company. Again, always leave your comments, make certain you download it, pass it on to your friends because that's the way we keep these things going. Uh, And during this week, of course, I will be covering all of the major profit reports as they come out and give my own interpretation as to what's taking place in some of those major companies you might hold shares in. Anyway, we'll do it all again here tomorrow. I'm Ross Greenwood and these are the Money Minutes. You don't gotta go to work, 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 Put it right like my time sheet. She ride it like a 60.